Thanks for tuning in today on our PLG Confessions. We're super excited to welcome Chris from Help Scout. Without further ado, thanks for joining us. And maybe if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about you and about Help Scout in general to set the, the context for the conversation? Thanks, Francis, for having me on. I guess a little bit about myself, right? I started my journey in marketing and sales ops, really, straight out of college about 10 years ago now. And, you know, I've been really fortunate to, to be a part, right, of this, this SaaS community, right, and see how it's developed over the years. And, um, you know, for this conversation, right, I can only really speak from my experience, my experience. So typically, um, in my past, I've worked with smaller um, SaaS organizations, right, that sold products that had an ASP of around 25 to 50K. So maybe that kind of gives you a good understanding of, of the types of motions and, and campaigns and, and different things that I've, I've been a part of. Um, as far as Help Scout, Help Scout is, um, I guess, the elevator pitch, right? It's a complete customer support and communication platform right, that helps businesses deliver um, an outstanding experience, right, for everyone you interact with. And I think the what is different and prob probably why I'm being invited uh, to talk with you um, is, is really because this is the first uh, company that I've worked for that has, a, has an established PLG uh, motion. And um, so we're looking at a smaller ASP, right? Which means more volume than I've ever experienced in my prior roles. And so I think that's kind of the, um, the background that I, that I bring uh, to, to this conversation. So hopefully, whatever I say, um, I'm definitely new to this. So whatever I say, hopefully it will be helpful for those, for those who are in a similar, in a similar boat. Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, in, in all honesty, I think there, there are very few people that have been around the PLG game for, for a long time. So I think it's, uh, it's always refreshing to hear you know, from the perspective of someone who's, uh, joined kind of the, the movement and is coming from that, um, yeah, maybe more inbound world in the past. Like first off, to de-dramatize this a little bit, it's not it's not necessarily that different, uh, but there are some uh, some elements that uh, might be different. And maybe to to get a sense from from an ASP perspective, like without going into the specifics, like what's maybe a little bit the the range that uh, you can see from uh, at Help Scout. So it's it's definitely a lot smaller, right? And to the point where we are focused. You know, a lot of times uh, in my past, focused a lot on ARR, mm -hmm. um, but to the point where we are reporting and um, formalizing everything around MRR even, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot shorter of a sales cycle where you're not like in a sales process for three months or four months and going through procurement and all those things. It's, it's really high volume and just boom, boom, boom. It's like, it, you know, it's coming in um, really quickly. Um, so it's a lot lower of an ASP. So I guess that, that's why it's, it's the nature of that. So, right. So you kind of need to you, you need to have a higher velocity to make up for the the lower uh, ASP. Exactly. Exactly. So um, it's a new experience, and it, and it's really fun, um, and it's really different. Um, but there, there's there's a there's a lot of different things that I can take away from from both experiences. So hopefully it'll be helpful uh, for the listeners. Very cool. And yeah. So actually, I mean, jumping right into it, right? As someone who's kind of just recently or has joined their kind of like first 
true PLG company in their career. I'm curious, like kind of what, what advice would you give to someone who's looking to um, either do the same jump or actually who has done that and has just joined a PLG company and doesn't necessarily have um, that kind of prior experience? Yeah, I guess, um, I guess two things, right? Uh, first, just if, if it's your first one, like, like it's for me, just ask around, right? Stay curious, stay humble. Like, don't just stay in your lane and just be like, okay, I've done it this way. Um, I've built the tech stack. I've, I've, I've run the campaigns this way for all, you know, in my past, right? And, and I'm just going to do it that way, right? Really stay flexible and stay humble and just ask around, right? Because um, you'll find that there are people out there who are smarter than you, right? And so, and you can always learn from them. So I think, I think practically, I think that's, that's probably the first piece of advice that I would give. Um, I think secondly, I've noticed it's really about how much data you can capture and not just how much data you can capture, but how fast you can do something with it, right? So um, I guess taking a little bit of a step back, my experience in terms of building uh, 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 tech stacks, right, for go-to-market teams, for marketing and sales teams, and, and also CS teams as well, um, you know, it's, I'm mainly in the Salesforce, HubSpot, Marketo, you know, foundation with all these other tools that are stacked up on top of that, right? Um, I think when I came to Help Scout, what was really enlightening for me was that there was another way to do it. <laughs> there was another way to build your data architecture. And maybe it was just me being ignorant or naive, but um, again, right, for the companies that I've worked for, it was not something that was ever really discussed. Um, and maybe it was because like it was just a smaller team and um I, I don't know exactly why it was never discussed this way but when i came to help scout right there was it's a it's a lot better there's a there's a better way to build your data stack um and be able to capture your data um and then do something with it quickly and the and the better you can do that as a company i think the more successful your plg motion will be Right. So, um, so I guess to talk more specifically, right. Uh, at help scout, we have, um, our product, right. We, uh, help scout and the data, the raw data that we get out of it, it gets, um, pushed into a data warehouse, um, big query, and then it gets transformed via DBT. And then that's where the magic happens, right. It gets pushed either to our VR platform, which is looker, um, or through a reverse ETL tool, it gets pushed back into our, I guess, traditional products, right? Salesforce and HubSpot, right? So via, it's a tool, I'm sure there's many other tools out there, but the one that we use is called Census. And why that is, um, so what I tried to do in the past, I realized it has already been done and it's already actually a very mature field. Again, I'm really exposing my ignorance here, um, but it's a it's a really mature field that I feel like it should have been discussed. I should have known about this many years ago, right? But the fact that it was not talked about prior, I, I think it it's very um, it shows something. Maybe is is it, it exposes something about our industry. Um, but what I tried to do is I basically think of uh, for those who might not know, maybe it's just me, but 
really you have all these you know d- disparate tools and, and data silos everywhere you got HubSpot, you got all these other different tools that are out there you put it all into one place and then it gets standardized so that therefore you can do things with it right do things with that data um and so the what i tried to do uh, in my previous roles is i tried to basically use salesforce as my bigquery i guess in a way so it's technically my data warehouse and then use like salesforce workflows and process builders right to basically be the dbt tool equivalent right like it would basically transform the data to standardize it and use using like pickless values and different things like that so that it can be pushed out and be used by other tools right that are that is connected to salesforce right like for example hubspot or marketo so that you can do email marketing or you can send them um, different things about the product, right? Um, but that I've had trouble actually. Um, I've had trouble in my past to, to build that because it's so, it's, it's really not scalable to build uh, your data architecture that way. Um, even though I think a lot of people are doing it that way. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I do think a lot of people are doing it that way. And it's it's good for like one-off little things, but to build your foundation like that, you're not going to get anywhere. And why I talk about this with PLG is because ultimately, right, you're trying to get what people are doing in your product and the data that your, your own product um, is capturing into some other tool that does different things, right? Whether it's a webinar tool or a, a marketing automation tool or a CRM tool or a sales um, automation tool like sales loft or outreach, right? You're basically trying to connect that, that gap, right? And so um, don't use Salesforce, right, as that gap. It's not intended to be that way. Um, and, and I think we were able to, I saw at Help Scout, the way that they built it, it's just so fast, right? You're able to, I want to be able to see uh, of the new product feature that we launched, who is actually doing, who actually enabled it based upon this criteria. And I want to be able to get that subset of people pushed quickly, um, like on a daily basis into my marketing automation platform. So then I can put them into a nurturing campaign to basically get them, Hey, you know, you didn't enable this feature. Why don't you enable this feature? Right. Um, Luckily, so I know that there are tools out there who help with this, um, but for us at Help Scout, um, the way that we do it is we um, basically all the data that comes in from our Help Scout platform, it goes into BigQuery and then it gets pushed back into our systems, and it's and it's and it's pretty fast, and it's actually extremely fast. Um, prior to to Help Scout. The way that I would do it is I would call my engineering team or ask them, hey, can we get a list of XYZ with this certain criteria? And it would just be a large CSV dump. And then you would have to put that into a list inside HubSpot and match it against your database. And then send it. it's just, it was so clunky and it was extremely slow. Um, but the faster that you can operationalize and automate um, the data that's coming from your product and get it into your marketing automation platform or your CRM or whatever other tool that you're mm-hmm. using, I think that's that's where you will win. Um, and, that, and that's what's really important. Right. There, there's a big component of that, which is the kind of the, so almost like 
the data activation to some extent, which is really how do you make sure that the DBT model surfaces the right, like if you, you have new features that you start you know, tracking in your product, mm -hmm. making sure that the DBT model is updated to reflect these new attributes or events or whatever, how organizationally, how do you folks discuss that at Help Scout, right? So it's like, okay, we're launching this new thing and go to market is going to want to be able to run campaigns, exactly what you said, right? Run a campaign against people that are using this new feature that we launched. How, yeah, how does that happen? And like, maybe like, who are the people that are, are in charge to make sure that the requirements uh, from the tracking of this feature all the way to the enablement of the marketing campaigns are, are respected? So for, at Help Scout, um, we have, um, you know, your typical CS team, you have your marketing team, you have your sales team, right? Kind of typical of, of, of any company. Um, for us, the way that our team is organized is we have a revenue operations team that sits under finance. So they're kind of a third party organization that, and under it is a marketing operations, sales operations, finance ops, and then a data team. And that data team is the team that um, manages kind of what I've been talking about, right? Um, so then for the CS side, when there's like a feature and you want to train your users on a particular feature that we released and, and identify who didn't enable that, you know, new feature that we launched, um, they would come to me and then I would communicate that, um, that new, I guess, feature request or the data request to the data team and then they would build that into the system and then um we we developed a process through census right so then they would build it and then i would just easily connect it with hubspot um and then that's when i would build the campaign and the workflow for that um got it so you really operate as the as the liaison between the like go to like go to market reps and the data ops team to say hey these are the these are the requirements from a pseudo technical perspective, right? Because you're you're thinking in terms like what fields or what data needs to be made available in HubSpot to enable whatever reporting or campaigns that um, the rest of the team wants to run, and then the data ops exactly. team is going to take that in. And from a from a process perspective, like do do folks do sprints? Is it like ad hoc requests that get added to like a ticketing system? Like how sure. how how do you guys do it? So because the data team gets more, you know, requests than, than just that, like they're not, right. you know, so we do have a ticketing system that they manage um, in terms of requests, but because we sit under the same umbrella and the same team, we usually get to get things a lot quicker, right? Mm -hmm. Just because it's, it's something that, you know, um, we're able to kind of speak, speak the same language um, and have this, we all have the same manager, right? So in that sense. Got it. Uh, super, uh, um, super helpful. Um, maybe a couple things that were, uh, I think that were really interesting in, uh, um, in what you were saying. Um, I, I wonder if in the, in this kind of PLG world, do you feel like the, there's almost like a blurred line now between like CS and sales, where I feel like a lot of the challenges that we're starting to see show up in the PLG world were the challenges that people had on the CS side in B2B SaaS, right? Where you wanted to know what was the product usage of 
your accounts to see if there was like if it was trending one way or the other. Um, <clears throat> and essentially, yeah, the same way that like Salesforce might not be the solution to that, like Gainsight might not have been the like was trying to do something similar, but it, it, it didn't necessarily work. So do you feel like there's kind of a like now where you're starting to see the kind of like data requirements for, for sales and CS be like more and more similar in, a, in the PLG world? Um, I guess, is your question more along the lines of like, how do we differentiate between CS and sales now? Is that, is that kind of your, it's almost like more like if, if you had to support a CS team in, in non PLG world, but still SaaS, they already had requests around like, how do we yeah. bring product usage information into Salesforce, into our dashboards? We need to know who's using the product, who isn't. Yeah. And now we're seeing the exact same request in PLG, right? These re kind of requests are now showing up on the on the sales side. So almost like the, I guess, like CS ops and sales ops or rev ops, I guess, are becoming like a much more similar function than they might have been in the past. Yeah, because it's all about, you know, the data, right? Like who owns the data and who manages it, right? So then if you're looking for a one source of truth, Right from the CS, the CS work is going to go to the same same place, right? So um, the way that sales kind of relied on, I guess, Salesforce being the single source of truth, right? CS at the same time is going to do the exact same thing. Um, so it's really a matter of who can, how, how, I guess, which organization is able to create that single source of truth will be mm -hmm. the, the winning organization, right? Right. Um, and so that's the purpose really of having it all under one roof um, is so that, you know, we don't, if the team, I'm, I'm under the impression, right? If the team is always siloed, if the team is siloed, then your data is also going to be siloed as well, yeah. right? So um, so I, I think intentionally that is why Help Scout has chosen the way that to structure the team that, that, it, that it has. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and you were saying like you started by saying, hey, one of the the big things you'd recommend is you know asking around and then trying to see like what others are are doing, how they're doing it. Um, any uh, resources aside, of course, from this, this amazing podcast that uh, you would recommend like people go check out to you know find information uh, around what other folks are doing. So Slack communities are always good. Um, there's I mean, a lot of people are taking that strategy. So, you know, that's always good. Slack communities are always good to learn. You know, LinkedIn is, I utilize a lot of LinkedIn apart from a lot of the um, bad marketing that happens on LinkedIn. You kind of just have to be smart about filtering that out. Um, but if you follow the right people, you know, there are a lot of people that, that post content on, on that platform to, to learn. Um, I think, the biggest though is, is your own organization, right? Um, I think as long as you have the mindset of like, I'm not the smartest person in the room, right? There's always something that you can learn. Um, and that is what I'm experiencing with at Help Scout is that I come into an organization that already established, um, is, is very mature in the way that they uh, model their tech stack. Um, and so if somebody is new, um, I guess if somebody is like me and has only worked for smaller organizations in, in, in their career, 
where it ends up being that you are the smartest person, not the smartest person, but maybe the person that only knows what you know, and there's nobody else who does what you do. I would challenge that person to maybe try to, for your next job, whenever it is, whenever you're planning on changing, maybe going to somewhere, going somewhere that's a little bit more mature um, might help you learn more in the long run. Right. Um, and it, you know, even if it's a setback, even if it's a career setback, right. In the long run, it's not right. Because you are um, learning from smarter people, right. And learning from organizations who have done this um, in the past already. So I, that, that'd be kind of one advice I would give to probably somebody who um, is kind of starting out or um, who, who might have been in the same boat as I have. Um, yeah. But it's always, it's always nerve wracking to be, the person, the only person that knows what you're doing, like really try to find other people that, that have been in the, have been doing this for a long time and be humble, humble enough to admit that. So I think that's right. my, my advice. Got it. That makes sense. Um, one of the, the topics that often comes up in, uh, um, with PLG is that, you know, for, for all the talk there is around like PQLs and, and how, you know, product led is, is the way to go. And it, it is awesome in many different ways. You know, most, you know, companies beyond like a, like basic level of maturity in PLG are going to have different funnels, right? They're still going to have people that raise their hand for a demo request. They're still going to have probably a team that's doing like some form of outbound against, against target accounts. They still have content that people are downloading. And so it, it can seem like the, the, the customer journey is almost like a little bit more complex at the account level because you might have like someone signed up for the product, but then their manager downloaded a piece of content. And so I'm curious, like how, how do you see this compare with like the maybe more traditional inbound world? And, and is it really that different or are there a lot of learnings that we can take from the, the inbound world to the, the PLG side to you know, kind of like even make that transition uh, smoother. Sure. Um, so I would, I would say that it's actually, so one thing is one, I haven't been able to figure it out, right? Because you're talking about different uh, people coming in at different parts of the life cycle. Um, and now you've added the product um, engagement, right? As, as one of those entry points. Um, but I don't think it's that much different than what we've experienced prior, right? So um, I guess, you know, many years ago, right, we're talking about marketing, just owning that top of funnel um, experience, right? Like, you know, when I talk to my mom or probably my grandma, if I tell her, you know, I'm in marketing, right, they're going to think, oh, okay, you are in charge of, so you like create billboards and 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 add and add right? yeah yeah exactly and so that that's what they think right but you know as we all know and as all the listeners would know it's 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 much more than that um but that's because right of the advent of of the internet right and so the online experience where people can just do what they want they're not forced to go in from the top of the funnel to the bottom right you got all these other input points everywhere in the life cycle and, and we've, we've dealt with that, right? We've dealt with that. And, and the way that we've dealt with that is, is having the single source of truth, right? Having the single source of truth of, of what people are doing and um, 
allowing people to go through the funnel at different points of the life cycle, right? Maybe you have somebody who's in stage five of the demo, right? With the sales rep, but then they come in from a LinkedIn campaign because they're interested in your ebook or, or whatever, right? We've, we've all gone through that. And I think the product experience and, and giving them access to the product is just another uh, experience that you have to manage um, and, and make great, right? You have to really, uh, make that experience um, uh, great for the customer, but then also have the single source of truth. Right? But I don't think it's it's much different than than what we've experienced in the past. Um, right. Maybe the big difference uh, to echo what you're saying is that the, the single source of truth cannot be Salesforce. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Uh, they, they've lost that battle, unfortunately. Um, and actually, do you see, um, like, is BigQuery really the, the single, single source of truth? Or is it actually BigQuery plus HubSpot plus Salesforce? Exactly. Uh, because I think, like, sometimes we kind of, like, oversimplify this with, like, the single source of truth being, like, BigQuery or Snowflake or whatever. And I see a lot of companies not necessarily, like, push back everything from Salesforce and HubSpot. And so really the source of truth becomes the, the combination of all of this. Exactly, exactly. You're not, the single source of truth is not one service or one software or one platform, mm -hmm. right? You, the, the, I guess the mentality and the mindset that needs to change is that the single source of truth is how your whole data stack is running where you can um, quickly and uh, optimize it so that whatever, because sales doesn't need to see everything, right? Sales right. doesn't need to see everything. CS doesn't need to see everything. Marketing doesn't need to see everything, but they need to be able to see, uh, you need to be able to be flexible enough where they can get uh, get the right data and, and it, for it to be standardized, right? I'm not going to give a, I'm not going to pay for a content marketer, a seat, to Salesforce so that they can have the single source of truth and they're just going to get too much of what they don't need all of that. They don't need a seat right. in Salesforce. Right. Um, but the beauty of having, having everything standardized in a data warehouse or, um, you know, BigQuery or everything like that, that single source of truth is basically what I mean by that is it's all the data is being standardized in one, one solution. And then it's being pushed out selectively to the different places that people are working, right? Whether it be Salesforce or HubSpot and even like a BI tool like Looker, right? For us, Looker doesn't have everything, right? It's not, um, it's not tracking clicks on the, on, on the website, mm -hmm. right? It's not, it's not, or that data is not there because it's not needed there in Looker, right? You can just go to Google Analytics and, and, and get that information. Um, but the fact is that it could potentially be in Looker if you wanted to, because our data is centralized in one place. I think we need to kind of change the mindset that your single source of truth is not Salesforce. It's not one product. It's how you build your, your full data stack and, and your data architecture. That's really, and can you get that standardized data um, and get it pushed yeah. back into those systems, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to add a little bit of hype to this, I feel like we're, we're basically saying it's the decentralized uh, marketing platform, right? To some extent, we're starting to say the single source of truth is like decentralized, right? It's like, 
almost like the same analogy as how data lakes were different from a data warehouse, right? Like in this case, we're saying the single source of truth is actually an ecosystem of tools, but like whenever, um, but that have a standardized way of looking at things. And if there is overlap, there's like one value of it that, um, that shows what that single source is. And, and I think it's, it's interesting to think about it as like, we're, we're decentralizing a lot of that definition of the, the single source of truth, right? Like Salesforce was trying to centralize that and we're starting to see, no, it's actually, and it's not even going to be centralized necessarily in a big query. It's like this ecosystem, of like big query, potentially there's some stuff that lives in Stripe that doesn't need to live entirely in big query. It can be just a subset that gets in there. Um, same thing for HubSpot and for, uh, uh, and for Salesforce. Um, so I guess like looking at, um, you know, looking out, you know, the, the future, um, what are you excited and conversely kind of, what are you worried about when it comes to, to PLG as, uh, you know, uh, a MOPS person? Sure. Um, so I guess, you know, I could, I could enter this, this, or I can attack this question in this way. Like, why do, why do people like you and me, or why do people like me, right? Why do we like to go into the product? Right. Um, like no one likes being sold to or marketed to. Right. And, and when we say that, really, it's like what people really mean when they say that. And, and when our friends say, oh, that's just marketing. Right. Really, what they're saying is, oh, that, that's just a lie. Right? Right. right. Essentially, what they're saying is essentially we don't like to be lied to. Right. And I think one thing that's exciting about PLG is that the product can't lie. Right. Either you you have the functionality or you don't. And really what you see is what you get. Right. So um, uh, the challenge is then how do you match your brand with your product and that product experience? Right? Can you really practice what you preach? Right. So if your brand is all about you know, innovation and right, having the, the latest and greatest. Right. And really that being the differentiator between your competitors. Right. When you when somebody logs into your product, right, and there's zero innovation, right, there's that mismatch, right? If there's nothing different about your product once you log in, you know, you get that mismatch. So that's an exciting but also scary thing, right? Um, I feel like marketing now has can now has a now has a bigger play, right, in the product development cycle, right? Where mm -hmm. in the past, right, like we talked about earlier, right. Um, it's been just the advertising seed, right? Making pretty pictures and things like that, right? We've kind of changed, right? Later on to now inflict uh, uh, being part of the sales cycle, right? Uh, with the advent of online business. And then now we're creeping our way into like the product life cycle, right? So can, so what's exciting is now can marketing gain that seed, uh, not just at the revenue table, but can we gain that seed at the product development table as well, right? So um can we play really can we play a role with how product is developed for both for both users and even how like backend structures are created right right can we use that as a marketing uh tool right so for example can we like build the system to filter out spam and and how people sign up for products right and can we capture logins can we capture login durations and seats and and what add-ons they're able to to add on to their um to their subscription right um but i think this seat right that i that i talk about right the seat at the product development table it, it 
right? It, it's a seat that really requires, it, it's not easily gained, right? Marketing really needs to gain that respect, right? Because I think um, in general, um, this is just my opinion, but marketing has, we've become a little bit lazy in the way that we market because it's so easy to just pick, um, push a button and then send out a, you know, half-baked uh, ad to just all your ICP, right? It's, it's easy to do that now. So I think we've gotten a little bit lazy, but I think we've got to start thinking a little bit more critically, right? Um, because, you know, the problem these days is that there's just so much tech out there, right? And I'm, I'm speaking for, for SaaS, right? There's so much tech out there. We all know, you know, right? Scott Brinker's like MarTech landscape that's just, you know, no one really yeah. kind of reads it anymore just because it's just so much now, right? Uh, but that's our landscape now, right? And so this tool looks kind of the same as another tool, right? So then how do you really differentiate yourself, right? And, and, um, and I think that's why PLG is so um, exciting is that it's really about the first impression, right? It's just, it's so important, right? Um, um, right, like you can't fake it anymore just because you pay a lot of money. You, I mean, you could pay a lot of money right, to pretty up your website, you know, have pretty pictures and have the good color and even have really good content on your website, right? Um, and you could kind of manipulate that and you can even kind of manipulate the sales process, right? So like you can have someone request a demo and then they get on a demo and then you give them like the best demo with a really good trial in, or sorry, demo instance that has been created. And then without them trialing your product, because you don't, you obviously don't, uh, allow them to trial your product, right? They can buy it. And then the moment they log on for the first time, then then it's like, wait, this is totally different than what I experienced, right? Because the product cannot lie, right? So that is why I think PLG is so enticing in that and why people like me, who is a buyer of and a consumer of product, of tech product, um, is so enticing because it, it can't lie, right? And so, you know, you know, in my own experience, right, like when I started a, a, a tr and it, it's scary, but also exciting because when I started a trial, like there was a tool that I, that I was looking at um, a while back and um, it was, I, they offered a trial. So then I, I, I logged in and then it was just not good. It was just really not good. Right. So at that point in time, my first impression of the product will stay with me even to this day. I will not go back to that product, no matter how many emails they send me, no matter how many drip nurturing campaigns and LinkedIn ads and, and retargeting as they send me, I will, they, it will not change my mind about that product. Only two things will change my mind. One, somebody I really trust tells me otherwise. They're like, oh, actually, you know, that was a long time ago. I really, they really changed and they really, you know, updated their game and maybe you should give it another shot, right? Um, so that will change my mind. Maybe I'll give them another chance. Or two, I joined a company that has been using the product and then I kind of just inherited it. So I have yeah. to use it. And maybe because I have to use it and then I use it, and I'm like, oh, this is not that bad. Right. But then that, that first impression is really, really important. Right. So the hard part is really how do you change that first impression? With marketing, it was quote unquote, e it's easier to do with the website and and changing the navigation or, or things like that. So it's easier to do that, but now with the product, it's even harder to change, right? So it's right. not just a matter of changing the hex code on your, on your, on your button, 
right? It's so much more, or even personalization, right? It's just, it's more complicated, right? Because it, it, it takes so much to develop, develop product, right? As we know. Right? So, and are there, are there things that you've seen, um, uh, that you've seen marketers do successfully to impact that uh, product journey or how, how would you go about making sure that there is that dialogue between marketing and product to make sure that marketing has a voice in, uh, in the product experience? So this is one of those things, right, that I was alluding to earlier about joining a company that is really, is really mature, right? So like, um, or is mature than, than the companies that you were for prior, just to gain that experience and visibility. So it helps Scott, right? The awesome thing about, um, about you know, our company, I'm, of course I'm biased, but right, is that we have a growth team, but it's not a growth marketing team. It's a, it's a, it's, they live under the product um, umbrella, right? So their focus, one of their main focus, I mean, a, a part of, of other things, but is being that resource on the product team that is, is dedicated to developing product that relates to things like trial experience or pop-ups that show up or the new features within the product that can drive growth and conversion, right? Can we put, for example, can we put like pricing, our pricing packages within the product or make it so that it's easier to add add-ons or can we make, you know, the product uh, trial experience, maybe make it ungated, right? Um, these are the qu kind of questions that they ask and, and that they deal with. And they not only ask those questions, but they have the capability and capacity to actually develop and push those things out, right? Those product changes out, right? And I think that's a, that's a crucial element because um, uh, to, to basically having marketing partnering with that, that team. Um, of course, I, I don't know. I, we have it at Health Scout, so I don't know, like, if, if you don't, if organizations don't have that team, like how they would, mm -hmm. I don't have any. Um, but basically, marketing needs to somehow gain a seat at the product development table now. Um, and especially if your company is trying to do PLG. It's just, it's, it's a no-brainer because then you're just, marketing would just be stuck at the gated asset, that form experience. And then if you don't have the data that's coming back to HelpSpot, then you cannot manipulate the onboarding experience. If you do not have, like, you're, you're going to be stuck. Right. If you cannot get the data past that trial signup, right, past that HubSpot or Marketo form, if you cannot get the data that's back and you cannot influence the onboarding experience, you cannot influence the, the customer experience. If you cannot do that, it, it PLG is, is just another ebook. Right. And, and I, <laughs> I was really going to say, then you, you fall into the vanity metrics, yeah, right? Like, right. Where then like marketing is going to be like, oh, yo, generate us uh, signups. And you're like, yeah, great. Yeah. I can do that easily. And I think to add to like what I'm scared about, right, with PLG, like we had this with ABM two, and like, you know, like it's just another, another thing, right? Another craze or another wave, right? And I really hope that PLG doesn't become just another gated asset where people are going to feel hesitant, you know, to try things out, right? Like we've had that with eBooks, right? Nobody wants to fill out a Gartner Magic Quadrant form because they want to get it and then they're going to be, they're going to be blasted with 50 emails, right? And sales reps, like nobody right. wants that. And so nobody, 
we've already gone through that, right? Let's not do that again, right? Like there's already tools like TestBox, right? For example, that are allowing people to test drive products so that they can avoid the whole sales process, right? So like, I really hope that we can like take the lessons that we've learned, you know, over the past, you know, 10 years, eight, 10 years to see um, things differently, right? Of, of how go-to-market teams can utilize PLG, right? And I think, um, how can we think differently, right? I'm really, like, like I said earlier, I'm really scared that it's just going to be a bunch of email blasts, right? You're going to have somebody sign up for your trial and then you put them into a 14 email marketing sequence and then it's just like not helpful, right? Yeah. Like um, how, how can you make that experience better? Um, I, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think we're kind of still in that, in that phase in this, in this whole thing where, like, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, what the sales own now, right? Like, how do we make that divide, right? Like, is it appropriate, right? If somebody starts a trial to, for a sales rep to reach out automatically, right? I think sometimes it is, and maybe sometimes it's not. I mean, it depends on your, your company and organization, but, it, you know, like, you know, I, I think it's something to be cognizant of. You don't, want to make this your product another asset where somebody is just going to be scared to start your trial right right um i think it's it's interesting in 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 two ways right one of them is i think where where plg i'm fairly very confident it's not going to be similar to abm i think there are some big macro trends that that make me bullish about this the first one is data privacy looking at all the laws that are being passed on like cookies and all that stuff a lot of the intent data is going to be harder and harder to gather, especially like third-party intent is like five, 10 years from now. I think, I don't know how people are going to be tracking this, right? So I think that's where like the entire basis of, of that way of running demand gen is, is going to be hit pretty badly. The, the PLG side on the flip side is more about, you know, like more and more letting people go through the buying process that they want of like trying tools. So I feel like at least there's, there's a macro trend there that is encouraging, uh, it, it encourages in believing that PLG is here to stay. Um, the, the second one that you were saying about, you know, reps just jumping onto pinging signups. I always use the analogy of, you know, closing stores, right? Where someone walks into a store, it's a horrible experience of like, you walk in and someone is like automatically there, like jumping on you and like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, you know, can I show you this and that? Rather than potentially like letting you walk through and then either it looks like you're not finding what you're looking for and then it's super helpful to have someone come in, but hey, can I help you? Like you have questions or, or whatnot. Um, or on the flip side, potentially like helping you later where you've tried on a couple of things. Hey, by the way, like I think yeah. given that you seem to like this, this and that might also be super interesting to you. That's like very value add. It's kind of letting the the product to some extent, I mean, the experience be the main main driver and then have it be assisted uh, by a rep through different uh, criteria, I think is a better, hopefully process than just hammering people constantly and spraying yeah. and praying. And as an ops person, how do you do that? And it kind of goes back to this whole theme of what we're, what we're talking about today is whoever can harness the data correctly and be able to do something with it quickly will win right. right so like 
people people just spray and pray because they don't have the data to segment and they don't have the data to actually make meaningful experiences for the user right. or the customer, right? So if marketing, yeah. So, or yeah, but it, so if you're in, if you're in marketing and you are hit with this PLG thing, if you can't do that, you have to start with that. You really have to figure out how to get past the trial gate and understand the experience of the customer. And I think um, practically speaking, yes, the data architecture is something to, to look into. But also, like, for me, like, one thing that I regret um, when I was, when I started my career, I was, I started in marketing, right? I was, I was the one that was going to campaign, you know, going to trade shows and being the booth guy and doing all those things and sending out emails. And that really helped me, right, become a better marketing ops person just because I was in that seat. I, I, one thing I regret is I wish I took some time early in my career to be an SDR. Like I, mm-hmm. I really do. Like I, you know, it, I think it would have made me a better sales ops person, right? Right. So then now we're adding on this product layer. Like, can we, you know, hopefully I can somehow gain some first first hand experience in the product and be able to see what it's like and, and how development happens and different things like that. Then, then we're able to be better. I don't even know what the better ops people. I guess better. <laughs> I don't even know if it's enablers, you know, enablers, right? Um, and and so I, hopefully, I can do that. I'm not sure if if I'll be able to, but I think just getting, you know, getting your feet in the shoes of somebody that that has to do these things, I think, is important. Um, yeah, to do. that that's been a common theme, I think, in in all the the confessions that we we've done. I think the you know being able to to have empathy for your customers and in you know in an ops role it's interesting because you have the internal customers which is going to be like sdrs aes cs whatever and you have kind of the end uh customer which is yeah the the customer and so having empathy there is really critical um well listen chris this has been super helpful i hope it's been helpful to anyone who's listening um what's a good way to to get in touch with you or yeah where can we where can we find you when you're you know going through trials and tribulations around uh, a PLG. Yeah, how, how do we get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, just find me on LinkedIn. Christopher M. Uh, my last name is Eyes and Ice Cream. M is in Mary, just two letters. Um, I should, you know, if you just type that in with Help Scout, I think I should probably show up. So just feel free to message me. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, thanks again for sharing all your thoughts and being very open about uh, this great journey that you're getting started with PLG. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you soon on the show. Thank you so much. Nice to talk to you.